This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked podcast, a bi-weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode one, woo! And we are recording on Tuesday, September 1st. I'm Amanda Nelson, your host and the managing editor of Book Riot. And I am here with my first guest, Jen Northington. Jen is the events director at Book Riot, co-host of the Book Rages podcast, part-time bookseller at Word Bookstores, and a member of five book groups. Thank you for being on my show. Hooray! I'm so excited. <laughs> okay, yeah, but first I am, how are you in five book groups? How does that even work? It's a sickness. <laughs> so it started because when I was full-time at Word, I ran one and co-ran another. And then when I switched to part-time, I didn't give up either of them. So that's two. And then I've been a member of a women's-only graphic novel book group for a couple of years. That is amazing. That meets, and like sometimes I miss meetings, but mostly I go. And it's super awesome. They're amazing. Amazing. Um, so that's three. Wait. Oh, and then I have a two-person book group with a good friend of mine where like every few months we'll just pick a group, pick a book and read it together and have brunch and talk about it. And then, which I still think counts because you read a book yeah, and totally. got together, yeah. even if it's just two people. Also, brunch is excellent. Um, and then we, the Read Harder book groups. Now Book Riot has book groups uh, starting later this month. So that's five. <laughs> that's actually like, I mean, the Read Harder book groups are in how many cities? Eight. Eight cities. Yeah, yeah. So, so really, do those count as like eight separate book groups oh, since you're in charge of all of them? Interesting question. Or does it not count as a book group at all because you can read any book to show up at them? Oh, but you still got to go somewhere and socialize. Right. It's true. You have to go and talk about a book. So I still think it counts. So maybe if, okay, so if we make it eight, then I'm a member of 12. <laughs> I'm a member of one and we meet every month and we do the brunch thing. It's really, we talk about the book for like five minutes. Uh, mostly we're just there to drink mimosas, which is totally fine. Legit. That's me. legit. I don't care. <laughs> so before we get to our first, I just clapped. I don't know if you guys can hear that. You can't see me right now. This is not a video <laughs> call. Before we get to our first question, I'm going to just give a quick explanation of what the show is going to be like in case you didn't hear the preview uh, show that we did a few weeks ago and explain how to get the questions to us. So the basic concept here is that when you need a reading recommendation, you send it to me. Um, it doesn't matter what genre it is. It doesn't matter if it's for you or someone else or for your book group. If you need a book to fill the Harry Potter hole in your life or you need a gift uh, you know, to give to your dad or your aunt or whomever, or you want something to read for your book club or your classroom or your library event or anything, you can send it my way. And every two weeks, I will have a new guest on the show. Um, everybody I've booked right now for the next couple of shows are either librarians or booksellers. So these people really know their stuff um, and are, are under experts in the genres that we're going to talk about for each episode. So um, if I don't have an answer for you, I will bring on somebody who does. You can send your questions to the, the podcast email, which is get booked at podcast, excuse me, get booked at bookriot.com. Um, or you can just send them straight to me on Twitter at I'm Amanda Nelson. I save them and put them in the spreadsheet with all the other questions. So, um, and if we don't get to your question in the, the, you know, the episode immediately after you sent it in, don't fret. We only have time for a couple of questions every episode, so I will get to it eventually. But, um, but yeah, you know, don't think I'm ignoring you because I'm, I'm certainly not. So I think what we're going to do here is 
These first two questions are related. They're both about A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara. So I'm going to go ahead and just read both of them because they are concerned with the same sort of feelings. And then we'll do the first sponsor and then we will give our answers. That sound good, Jen? Yes. Mm-hmm. Let's do All it. Right. Let's go. Dear Get Booked, I'd like a recommendation for my book, Hangover. I just read A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara and I'm torn. Why did X character have to bad thing? Why c- I'm taking out the spoilers. Why couldn't Y character have X? Why? Exclamation points. The point is, I'm having a serious book hangover. I'm switching over to light reading, but I'm still haunted by the events of the book. I really enjoy literary fiction and lesbian romance. I really enjoyed The Goldfinch, and one of my favorite books is Fried Green Tomatoes at the Whistle Stop Cafe by Fanny Flagg. Help me out, guys. I'm a librarian who is mega hungover, and I don't know what to do. Thank you, and that's from Marissa. And then this next question um, is along the same lines, so I'll go ahead and read that one as well. So I just finished A Little Life, and I'm afraid I'm never going to find the strength to pick up another book. (laughs) I feel that pain. So here's the situation. I love to read, but I've been slightly slightly traumatized, and I don't know what to read next. Of course, my TBR is gigantic and all that, but I'm just in this huge hangover and can't decide what to do. I don't necessarily want anything too fluffy to contrast with A Little Life. I want something thought-provoking but not depressing. Do you have something for me? Uh, Thanks very much. And that is from Roberta. So let's do our first sponsor, and then we can get to our answers. I've seen Jen's recommendations, and they're really good. So uh, both of our sponsors for this episode are mystery novels, which I think is great when they have a cohesion like that. So if you're looking for a mystery, put up your radar. Uh, Our first sponsor is Entry Island by Peter May. When a murder rocks the isolated community of Entry Island, Montreal homicide detective and insomniac Sheen McKenzie heads for the scattered chain of Madeline Islands in the Gulf of St. Lawrence. Only two kilometers wide and three long, Entry Island is home to just about 100 people, the wealthiest of whom has just been discovered murdered in his house. Covered in her husband's blood, the dead man's melancholy wife spins a tale for the police about a masked intruder who was armed with a knife. The investigation appears to be just a formality, but Sheem is electrified by this woman during his interview by the widow and is convinced that he's met her before, even though obviously this is impossible. So he's haunted by this certainty that he knows her. His insomnia is punctured by these hallucinatory dreams of a distant past on a Scottish island 3,000 miles away in which he and the widow play a leading role. Sheem's fantasy about past lives and linked fate soon becomes an obsession, and despite mounting evidence that the woman is guilty of killing her husband, he finds himself convinced that she didn't do it. The conflict between the professional duty he must fulfill and the personal destiny he is increasingly sure awaits him threatens the investigation, the cohesion of his unit, and his career. So this is from um, Peter May, who is the award-winning author of the Lewis Trilogy. This is a standalone novel uh, with two dueling narratives, which is a, a literary kind of trope that I really enjoy. And the events of the book of Entry Island relate to the tragic history of the Highland Clearances in the 18th and 19th century, uh, which was a forced displacement by the British government of families who'd been living for generations in Scottish in the Scottish Highlands. Um, so history, mystery, murder mystery. Um, yeah, and thank you so much, Entry Island, for sponsoring the show. All right, so what do you recommend for <laughs> Hungover by Hanya? <laughs> so, I, will, I feel like I should confess first that I did not finish A Little Life, but it wasn't because I didn't love the writing, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just because I got to the middle and was like, oh my God, I can't do it. It was too, like I was on public transit when I hit that oh, point. No. Mm-hmm. And nobody had warned me, and I was just not ready. So I think I might finish it someday, but I definitely read enough to understand where you guys are coming from. Yeah, um, it's hard. 
It's, it's rough. It's really rough. Really amazingly rough. So my first recommendation is when I always pull out when people are having a lot of feels, and that's Tiny Beautiful Things by Cheryl Strayed. It is a collection of her essays from when she was writing Dear Sugar for The Rumpus, which is an anonymous advice column, um, plus some new ones, some ones that never made it to the site. Um, and they're really each advice column, quote unquote, is really a personal essay. And she is so good at parsing out what to do with your feelings. Yeah, she is. And so, so I feel like even though it's not fiction and it's not even a coherent narrative necessarily, um, if you are having a lot of feels and you need help with them, that is the book that I always recommend. Should I keep going or do you want to switch off? Let's switch off. Okay, and you see go. how it goes. We didn't talk yeah. about this beforehand, but that's no, we didn't. <laughs> um, so specifically for Marissa, who men- mentions that she really enjoys lesbian romance, um, I remember our, one of our contributors, Dana, did a post on the site about res- lesbian romance novels that she really loved, and one that stood out to me that I think would fit this bill was called "Month of Sundays" by Yolanda Wallace. Um, it's about a girl named Rachel who's an accountant who just had a breakup, and she gets ambushed by this blind date with a woman named Griffin, who is a chefbian, I'm making quotes, a chefbian, <laughs> celebrity chef of the lesbian variety. I guess this is a thing. I've never heard that I word, but that does not know. mean it doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, but the problem is Griffin is about to start filming a food competition show that's kind of like Top Chef, so the timing isn't really great. Um, so they make a deal. Griffin will take Rachel on a culinary trip around the world every Sunday, and there's work, timing, drama, issues, but it's a great romance, uh, fun, food, and all of that kind of thing. And it won the 2013 Lambda Literary Award for Best Lesbian Romance. Um, so if you haven't read that yet and are looking for something very light and fun, that one is a good one to check out. All right, you're up. <laughs> okay. And I will just say also about my picks that both of those two people did not ask for light ones. Because normally I would just say, read something fluffy, read something light. Yes, but they were yes. Like, no, I want to have more feelings. I just need help having the feelings. So, <laughs> so that's that's part of my rationale. So the next one I picked is Bright Lines by Tanwi Nandini Islam, mm-hmm. um, which deals with gender and sexuality and friendship, all of things that Hanya Yanagihara is tackling in A Little Life. Um, and it has so many feelings, but ultimately the ending is pretty uplifting. So it's a good sort of rebound book where like you still want to have a deep relationship with a book, mm-hmm. but maybe you don't want to be quite as depressed at the end of it yeah (laughs) I want to be able to breathe right exactly like not to say hard dark things don't happen in this book because they absolutely do but by the end you're like okay I can I can breathe I can keep moving forward with Mm. life so and it's a beautiful book I loved it so the the next one that I'm thinking about is actually one of the book a book that I reread to get over a little life. So this was actually from my personal like pit of despair. And that's that's The Martian by Andy Weir. Uh, this book is everywhere right now because the movie is coming out. So if you haven't read it yet, now's a great time. And then go see the movie because Matt Damon's in it. And that's awesome. But the thing that I really like about The Martian, I think this goes back to Roberta's um, question where she says she doesn't want necessarily anything too fluffy. She wants something thought-provoking but not depressing. And I think that The Martian is very thinky because it's so hard science. Like, I mean, if you don't know, The Martian is about an astronaut who gets stuck on Mars and then he has to survive in a, uh, what do they call it, a habitat that's intended to keep you alive for like a month, but he has to stay there for like two years while waiting for rescue. And are they going to rescue him? And is it going to work? And, you know, it's very page turnery. Um, but it's really hard science. Like it's math and science and him figuring out how to live. And I found all of that really fascinating. And then you start to think about like how much 
as weird as this question is, how much money is a person's life worth? Because that's brought up in the book, like how much money are they willing to spend to send another team back to go get him? Because, you know, it costs billions of dollars to go to Mars. And it'll make you think a lot of questions without wanting to hold your kids while they're sleeping <laughs> and you're crying <laughs> into their pillows. Um, and plus it's a completely different genre, which always helps when you're trying to get out of a kind of reading slump hangover situation. Um, so if you haven't done The Martian, go, go, go. Nice. Okay, I'm, I narrowed it down to one more. I have like a bunch of... <laughs> I just the same thing. I was like deleting, deleting. Yeah. <laughs> I have so many thoughts, but we only have so much time. So my last pick for the two of you is Life After Life by Kate Atkinson, um, which sounds like it would be gimmicky <clears throat> because the premise, like, and you find this out on the first page, so this is not a spoiler, is that this woman is sort of doomed to repeat her life over and over and over again. And the point of her life is to kill Hitler, um, <laughs> which you're like, okay, what? How are you possibly going to pull this off? Um, so it's really complex structurally, but it's not even a little bit gimmicky despite that premise. And it's all about the choices we make or don't make. Um, and so if you're like pining for alternate endings for a life, for a little life, Life After Life, which is almost the same title. Wow, I'm going to have to say that. Um, so Life After Life by Kate Atkinson has her character go through like every possible iteration of her life that she possibly could. So you get some stories that you're like, no. And then you get some stories that you're like, oh, that's great. And then you get another one and another one. So it's really good if you're wanting um, sort of infinite possibilities for a character. That's great. Well it done, was, Jen. <laughs> it was really good. It was really good. All right. So my last one is The Engagements um, by J. Courtney Sullivan. This came out in 2003. It's literary fiction, so if you're still looking to stay in that lane, um, this is really good. But it won't make you have, like, all the sads, but it's still very thought-provoking. It's uh, interweaving narratives that follow, I think there are four different main characters, and what's going on in their marriages. So some have been married for a long time, some are partnered but refuse to get married, some are having an affair uh, and have left their spouses in another country, and things like that. And then they all come together at the end in a way that I'm not going to spoil. But one of the most interesting narratives in that book is a kind of historical fiction about the woman who is responsible for creating the um, Diamonds Are Forever advertising campaign, which is really the reason why people now, when they're getting married, feel the need to have a diamond. It's all because of this advertising campaign. So it's, it's, uh, it'll make you think a lot about advertising and its effect on our decision-making and culture and feminism and all this stuff. Um, but the writing is also really great, and you won't weep, which is always a bonus. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Thank you. <clears throat> all right, question two. Do you want to read question two? Yeah, I'll read question right. two. Go ahead. Um, so question two, I know this is going to be a tough request since it seems like both of you either aborted or avoided a little life. Oh, look, it's another little life question. Yeah, this one's not about hangovers, though. No, it's not. So I understand, despite my loving it, I've been a little careful about who I recommend it to because I know it's a lot and not everywhere at and not everyone is going to respond positively or even neutrally to the book. So not to make your life difficult, but since I did love the book, I'd love to hear about some books that are similar. Uh, I don't want the same content necessarily. I love how the book really dives into the deep lives of the characters, makes you feel something, and I feel like it even made me a stronger reader. I'd love to hear some of your recommendations for books that may have the same effect. Other books uh, I loved for similar reasons are Cutting for Stone, We Need to Talk About Kevin, A Thousand Splendid Sons, Unbroken, 
books I thought were going to be similar, but I ended up not loving are The Goldfinch, Secret History. Maybe I'm just not a Donna Tartt fan, <laughs> which is fair. Yeah. Um, thank you in advance, Beth. Okay, thank you, Beth. Um, so if you are a glutton for punishment, <laughs> which is, I, I respect you and I salute you. Um, and I do have some recommendations for you. Go to town. <laughs> All right, so I made a list of super depressing books that are so good anyway. Um, the first on the list is Tiger Man by Nick Harkaway, which I think kind of flew under the radar because, first of all, it's called Tiger Man. Yeah. And um, <laughs> you have to be a particular kind of person, I think, to pick up a book called Tiger Man. I am that person. Also, I love Nick Harkaway's work. So this book is about an ex-soldier who has been sort of put out to, you know, pasture, as it were, um, forcibly retired in a sort of fluffy position on this island that is at the boundary, is in boundary waters of several international governments and is sort of considered a place where Everyone will look the other way if things that are not supposed to be happening are happening. Um, and so he is just kind of supposed to be like turning a blind eye, you know, living on an island, drinking martinis, like, or Mai Tais rather. You don't drink a martini on the beach, do you? Um, I did. Yeah, I wish so. And he makes friends with this little local boy. And that friendship turns into this epic adventure. And it's all about. Um, family of choice and what do we decide to do when that family is threatened and what is morally right and ethically right and what do we actually need to pay attention to in life and it is so sad I was not prepared for how sad this book was going to be so I'm going to tell you right up it's really sad but it's so worth it and it's really rare I think that you get an action-y book that is also deeply deeply sad and rewarding in that way so I definitely recommend that one Okay, um, I went with the idea of taking a deep dive into the lives of characters and then crying. It seems <laughs> to be like the things that she wanted out of, um, that she loved about that book. So my first recommendation is The Space Between Us by Thruti Umrigar. This is so heartbreaking. It's so heartbreaking. So it takes place in modern-day India. It follows two women, uh, Sira, who's an upper-middle-class Parsi housewife. She's wealthy and is in an abusive marriage. Her husband has just died, so she's really looking back on the effects of, you know, being abused for that long. I think they were, they were married for like 30 years. And the second <laughs> character is named Bima, and she's illiterate and poor and lives in a slum, and she is uh, Sarah's maid. So she comes to her house every day and is surrounded by all this wealth and then goes home to a slum with no running water um, and no bathrooms and all that. And her granddaughter, who lives with her, is pregnant outside of wedlock, which of course is this horrible, shameful thing um, in this societal situation. So a, a bunch of things happen that I can't tell you because of spoilers, but their lives become way more um, intricately connected than they already are, despite the fact that Bima has worked for this woman for 30 years and knows everything about her life. There are still these very hard and concrete lines that separate class. Um, and the book is really about how the rich and the poor are the same. And it's a it's such as an interesting look at the pain that women feel that's similar no matter how much money we have. Like we're all facing such similar struggles. Um, so it's really gosh, it's just so sad. I'm like thinking about the ending. It's not the kind of book where like um the characters this is not a spoiler, but 
it's not the kind of book where the characters necessarily redeem themselves. Like you're not in it to see somebody realize, like in the help, you know, where a character mm. is like, oh, well, that's right, I am completely racist. You know, um, <laughs> this is an issue uh, of culture and class that the ending is is a question mark. Like what this is how our society is and what are we going to do with it? So it's it's really a deep look at these two characters' lives and then you will have so many feelings about them because you will love them both and hate them both for different reasons, which is such a skill, I think, when an author can do that. Yeah, similarly, I feel like we were exactly on the same page. I'm making those, like, same page, like, hand motions at you, but you can't see me because it's the phone call. Because my next book is very similar in terms of what kind of a book it is. So The Residue Years by Mitchell S. Jackson is another deep dive into a character's life. It's told in alternating perspective from a son, a grown-up son, and his mother, And you know at the very beginning of the book that the son is in prison um, and the chapters then each tell you sort of how he got there. Um, And it's about growing up in the black area of Portland. Um, It's about bad choices. It's about why you make those bad choices. Um, And it is just one of the most beautifully written books I've read in a while. I just read it, even though it's been out for a couple of years. Um, and also, you know, incredibly heartbreaking, like the final scene before you like come full circle, I was just like, Oh, like I actually put the book down. Oh no. (laughs) Oh my God. Oh my God. Um, nobody dies. I'll give it that. (laughs) Oh, great. (laughs) Um, so it's like, Hey, nobody died. Um, but it's really incredibly moving and affecting and his writing is just amazing. Um, and I, yeah, it, it definitely is this deep look. Like I was talking about this book with a friend and I was like, Oh, and remember the barbershop scene and like nothing actually happens in that scene, but it's just such a beautiful portrayal of what life moments are like and then sort of how your life can spiral out of your control it's amazing it's really good you should read it okay okay um my next pick i think is the book that that i could come up with that is most closely like a little life and that's the amazing adventures of cavalier and clay by michael shaban it is a book about dudes and their feelings and their pain for like (laughs) for 700 pages which is which is what a little life is essentially a book about dudes and their feelings and their pain for 700 pages, which is great. Um, so, it, but the difference is this is kind of historical fiction a little more. The the character, the, the first main character is Joe Cavalier. He's a Jewish artist who lives in Prague and he smuggles himself out as the Nazis invade and goes to New York City and moves in with his cousin, Sammy, who is a comic book artist. And so the two of them start to create comic books and they become famous and then you know there's World War II and they fight and fighting in the war and romance and it follows them over decades of building their careers and um, having drama and falling apart and coming back together and all of this stuff and there's some Jewish mysticism elements that are really cool um, but if you you want to follow a couple of of men who are really close you know really best friends and also well in this case they're relatives but who are best friends and the drama that can happen in a male friendship over a lifetime, then this is a good pick for that. All right. So my last pick uh, speaks directly to the part of Beth's question where she says it made her a stronger reader. Um, Because this book definitely, I thought I was not going to be able to read it just because of the structure. And then I ended up loving it. And I did feel at the end like I was a stronger reader. Um, So it's Mm -hmm. called A Girl is a Half-Formed Thing by Amor McBride. And it is deeply, deeply depressing. There are no (laughs) 
happy endings here. It's about a young woman whose brother has been um, disabled and or ill for most of her life. And she has been trying to separate herself from her family for her own safety and health, um, but has been unable to do so. And so it's, you know, it, it follows her from really when she was born to her mid twenties. Um, and it is written in this really fragmented sort of almost poetry style. Um, the sentences are not complete sentences. Um, they often are very disjointed, but they form a kind of rhythm and whole that once you learn how to read the book, like the book teaches you how to read it as you read it. Nice. Once you figure it out, it carries you along so well. Um, and it's, it really is like being in the head of a character or of your own head at its like darkest moments. Um, and, and it's, just so beautifully, beautifully done. Um, I like will not, I, it's going to take me a really long time to get over this book. Like I'm still not over it. Do you need uh, a recommendation for a girl is a half formed? Yeah, thing right. Here? I mean like the next show, can it just be like, what do you read after a girl is a half formed thing? Try a little life. No, just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my last pick for this question is The Robber Bride by Margaret Atwood, which is similar to uh, The Adventures of Cavalier and Clay, but with ladies instead of dudes, and one of them is evil. So maybe not at all like The Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. Such, but, um, so The Robber Bride is about four women who know each other from college onward, and one of the women, Zenya, um, is like this caricature of a temptress who steals the husbands and boyfriends of the other three and destroys their lives in whatever way she can. Um, and so the first woman is an academic. The second woman is this very like high powered executive. And the third is a kind of a hippy dippy lady who raises chickens and she's an artist and all of that. And, but no matter what position the woman is in her life, Zenia comes in and ruins it. And it's a, it's an interesting look at female friendship and, the, the pain that can be like wrapped up in um, in what we expect from each other uh, when we're female friends. And I, it's it does the same thing a little life does where you're going to follow a group across the decades, um, but without the, well, I don't want to spoil a little life, but without the kind of the hard stuff that, that makes a little life so difficult to read, but it's still hard. Like this is not a happy book. These women's lives aren't easy and their relationships aren't great. Um, but it's not, it's not quite as like soul sucking. Uh, It's more thinky than feely. Uh, but if you want a little more thinky than feely after having read a little life, then that's a good way to go. The Robert Bride. All right. We did it. Yeah. Woohoo. That is our last Hanya Yanagahara question. (laughs) Moving on. Uh, let's go ahead and do our second sponsor and then we can go on to the next question. So our next sponsor is Killer Run. A Taurus Trap Mystery by Lynn Cahoon from Kensington Books with a punny name. I am such a weakling for cozy (laughs) mysteries with puns in the title. I just cannot, I can't, I just love them so much. So this one's called A Killer Run and it's about a 5K, get it? Oh God. Yeah! (laughs) Thank you. Um, Puns are the highest form of humor. So it's about, the character's name is Jill Gardner. She's the owner of Coffee Books and More, which is a cafe bookstore in California. Uh, And she somehow gets talked into sponsoring this 5K race along the California coast. The race is a fundraiser for the local preservation society, but not everyone is happy in the town about it happening. Uh, So much so that someone dies. The day of the race, everyone hits the ground running. Get it? Get it? (laughs) And then a local business owner stumbles over a very stationary body. 
stationary because it's dead. The deceased turns out to be the really vicious and mean wife of the husband and wife team that was hired to promote the event. The husband turns to Jill for help in clearing his name, but she doesn't know if he did it or not. So she has to be very careful in helping him while he might be the killer, maybe. Um, and the killer comes after her. And so it's, it becomes a race against time to find the killer before they strike again, figure out what the motive is, all in this beautiful California setting, which is one of the greatest things about Cozy Mysteries, if you read Cozy Mysteries, is the setting. They're always in like these beautiful idyllic towns, which I just love about them. Um, and it's getting a little chilly here in Virginia, so I think it's a good time to check out a cozy. So don't miss Killer Run. Lynn Cahoon is a best-selling author. It's available now from Kensington, from Kensington Books excuse me, and at digital book retailers. So thank you, Killer Run, for sponsoring the show. And thank you for all the puns. So many puns. I love when they send me puns. Yes. A race against time. A race get against time. Get it? <laughs> Everyone hits the ground running. Yeah. Uh, all right. Okay. So our next question is from Mia. I'm a teacher at an urban high school in Trenton, New Jersey. Last year, we started a one school, one book program. And our first book was The Martian by Andy Weir. Our goal is to choose a book that it's really going to grab the student's attention and make them want to read. And The Martian was, was successful on that front. We've had a, a few discussions on what new books should be, on what the new book should be, and my biggest concern is that I do not want to choose a book by another white American man. I think there are too many choices out there, and our, studi our students are too diverse to only expose them to one kind of author. So what you got, Jen? All right. So I tried to remember the books that were the most fun to read to get assigned in high school. Yeah. Um, and I was always a reader, but definitely there were preferences still. And I, for me, it was always genre fiction, um, which, I, you know, The Martian kind of is, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. it helps to have a solid, like, plotty hook for high school, I think, um, especially if some of them are not, you know, dedicated readers already, which, you know, many high schoolers, maybe not. Yeah. Um, so uh, my first pick is Gem Science by Stephanie Salter. Um, it is a highly readable science fiction novel that also engages very deeply with current issues in sort of a roundabout way like the best sci-fi does. Mm -hmm. um, so it's about a future in which genetic engineering is not only a reality, but it's kind of a matter of course, like everybody kind of gets themselves fixed up. So you never get sick, you never, you know, diseases aren't really a thing anymore. However, they've also kind of used it for nefarious commercial purposes. So there have been these whole sections of people genetically engineered to perform specific services for society, like to take jobs, and they've been altered genetically to make them better at those jobs. And the question at the heart of the novel is, are those people actually people. So mm. you're dealing with this question of like, what makes us human? What doesn't make us human? But there's also this great action-y plot. Um, I will warn you, Mia, that it is pretty dark. There's an actual hate crime depicted in the book. However, I don't think that's unusual for high school students to read. And I, I do think it's a great choice for them. All right. Uh, my first pick is Shadow Shaper by Daniel Jose Older. This just came out, and unlike The Martian, it's a YA novel, so it's more it's intended for high schoolers. Um, but I don't think it's not like too easy, you know, for high school. No, no. So. Um, it's a fast-paced adventure in the same way that The Martian is, and it's got a lot of magical realism. So it takes place in Brooklyn. Uh, the main character is a girl named Sierra. Uh, who is out of school and it's summer and she's looking forward to like painting and hanging out with her friends and going to parties and all of that. And then she goes to the first party of the summer and a weird zombie crashes the party and she runs off 
to save her own life and, and goes home and she tries to get explanations about the weird zombie guy from her, her abuelo, her grandfather. Um, but he's recently be, uh, become ill and all he says is no importa over and over and over again. Um, and then when she's out in public after the zombie guy thing, she notices that some of the murals in Bed-Stuy where she live are crying. And so obviously something weird is going on in New York City. And she gets pulled into this big drama with all uh, this like magical realism. She discovers that she has a power called shadow shaping, which is when she can take spirits and impart them into art and bring the art to life. And then the art kind of does her bidding, which is really cool. I mean, it's I read, so great. Yeah, isn't it? I've read a lot of this of kind of like urban yeah. fantasy and it's like a, it's a conceit I've never seen before where she has this power to make art come to life, which is so like so literally awesome. And so, mm-hmm. you know, just in general, really creative and neat. Um, and so she finds out that her, her family, this ability to shadow shape is actually uh, something that runs in her family. Her mother has been kind of trying to pretend like it doesn't exist. So there's a lot of that kind of family drama that I think a lot of teenagers in high school will relate to when they read it. Um, and the, the cast of characters is super diverse. There's somebody here in the book that pretty much every student will be able to identify with despite the fact that they all have magical powers, <laughs> which is kind of magical in and of itself. So, yeah, that's Shadow Shaper. Go read it. I, I was so glad when I saw that you picked that, because that was on my long list. Yeah. So, yes. Um, okay, my next recommendation is On Such a Full Sea by Chang Rae Lee. Um, it's a little more difficult prose-wise than The Martian or the Stephanie Salter. Um, it's not really straightforward, and it's written in the second-person plural, so it's we. Wait, is that first-person plural or second-person plural? Second, per, first person. Plural. It's first person. Yeah, it's first person. Okay, <laughs> you how many like, people are y'all? Involved? Right, uh, y'all. Yeah, exactly. Right. Okay, it's not written y'all. It's we. So, um, but what it's about is again a little bit futury. It's a future um, takes place in what is becomes recognizable eventually as Baltimore, um, in this sort of Asian conclave community, and um, a, a young woman leaves the community, which you don't do because outside the community walls, things are hairy. It's the future. The economy is kind of messed up. You don't know who's kind of marauding around. Um, There's not as many resources out there, so you don't leave. But she leaves because her boyfriend has disappeared and there's a lot of questions as to where he has gone. Um, So it's as if the community itself is wondering what has been happening to her and telling itself the story of her adventures once she leaves. Um, Again, like not a light, happy story, but a really interesting story that makes you think about like, you know, what are our priorities in life? There's tons to talk about. Um, you know, what would you do in these situations? What, how realistic do you think it is that this is where we could be heading? I feel like it would be a really interesting book to read in a classroom setting. Okay. Um, my second pick for this question is Signs Preceding the End of the World by Yuri Herrera. Uh, this is super short. It might even qualify as a novella, but it is about a girl named McKenna who lives in a Mexican village, and she is sent by her mother and a few mob bosses across the border into the U.S., where her brother has gone to find her brother, deliver a message, and do an errand for these um, denizens of the underworld. Uh, so she crosses a river that separates her village from the U.S. and goes into the U.S. to to do it, and it's. It's, uh, it's, okay, I do not mean to insult Cormac McCarthy when I say this, but it's what I want when I read Cormac McCarthy, but don't get, <laughs> is this book. Like, there's that desert and the, the short, sparse sentences and all these weird ideas about borders and crossing. Um, 
that Cormac McCarthy is getting at but does not do as well as Yuri Herrera. Anyway, so it, the thing that I like about this book is it reads almost as like an allegory of crossing into the underworld. I mean, she crosses this big, dark river, and then when she gets to the other side, she doesn't understand what people are saying, and it's like she has to adjust the way that her mind thinks, and it, it almost reads like science fiction or fantasy because of the weirdness. I mean, and he's getting at the weirdness of crossing from Mexico into the U.S. and how when you do that, you have to change, not just, you've, you've, you're translating not just like language, but the way you interact with people and just how everything is different. Um, and of course, books about Im immigration uh, are really relevant right now, and I'm sure would be relevant to a number of students in a high school. So I think that would be a really great pick, and plus it's short, so high school students can't complain. <laughs> No, I really want to read that one. Oh, it's so good. Um, it's so good. Yeah, sounds amazing. <laughs> um, okay, so my last pick for this question is The Tusk That Did the Damage by Tanya James. Also short. Um, and it is a set of... I mean, I, I think it is a novel, right? Like, you've read this one, yeah? No, The Elephant. Oh, I haven't read it. Okay, yeah, well, I, haven't read it. I, I think it is a novel told in alternating perspectives, but you could also treat it as a short story collection that's linked. Um, but the whole thing takes place on the edges of a conservation area um, in India, and it's about poaching. And... Um, and one of the perspectives is that of an elephant. Um, and it sounds silly and gimmicky, but it's really not. It's an incredibly emotional book. Um, it's really well done. And it's very real world. So if you want to get out of like the genre-y stuff, this is a good choice. Um, and there's, there's, again, tons to talk about. Um, there's a lot of different kinds of characters and like different spots in their life, different ages, um, different perspectives on what on the central event that sort of binds all the different perspectives together. Um, it's really, really, really good. All right. I don't have a third one. So thank you, John. <laughs> Welcome. I have this, the next question I have noted down, bonus question if we have time. I think we do. If we keep our answers. Yeah, we kind can of do short. it. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. So last question. Um, let's see. This is from Kim. I've read a few reworkings of classic stories and fairy tales this year, and I'm really enjoying this refresh of stories. Do you have any suggestions for books uh, that retell a story or tell the story from a different point of view. The initial inspiration for this uh, was when I read Longborn by Joe Baker, which is a retelling of uh, Jane of Pride and Prejudice, I think. Yeah, yeah Pride and yeah. Prejudice from the servant's point of view. Yeah. yeah, and would love to discover more books which retell a story from a different perspective. Thanks for your suggestions. All right, Jen. I also loved Longborn, so I was delighted to see this question come through. Um, I, I wrote down like 16 you things. You did. <laughs> I, it's okay. I'm going to like be short and quick and group them because okay. I think that, I mean, I picked them because they're awesome. So you can just assume that right up front. Um, so I'm going to group the first two together. Uh, Wide Sargasso Sea by Jean Reese is a classic retelling um, that is like for me sort of the er retelling. And it's Jane Eyre, <laughs> but from the crazy wife's perspective before she goes crazy. Yeah. It is amazing. And then The Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller is the Iliad, but from Patroclus's point of view. So Patroclus, I don't, if you don't remember your Iliad, is like Achilles's sort of charioteer and slash lover. It's pretty clearly uh, suggested. And so you get Patroclus's point of view on his relationship with Achilles and the war, and it's so beautifully written. Okay. Okay, well, along the same lines uh, as White Sargasso Sea is Re-Jane by Patricia Park. This is a, another retelling of Jane Eyre. It's still from Jane's perspective, but it's set in present-day Queens, and the, um, the character Jane is Korean. So she lives uh, with her uncle 
in his supermarket, his Korean supermarket. She's half white, so she doesn't fit in really in any community. And then she leaves to, um, instead of going to college, she leaves and goes to become a nanny to the Rochester character and his wife. And his wife is a um, feminist studies professor, which I thought was such a funny <laughs> No, It's so good. It's, so, it's hilarious. Um, and then there's, this, there's a big tragedy, which I'm not going to tell you. And it's, if you've read Jane Eyre, it's not the one that you're thinking of. But there's a big tragedy in the book, and Jane flees to, uh, to go home to Korea to her family to try and figure out who she is and what she wants and what culture she's, she wants to you know, live in and participate in. And it's a really great examination of culture and immigration um, and what's the word I'm trying to think of? Like assimilation told mm. within the framework of that, of that Jane Eyre story. So I thought it was really, really well done. You know, it occurs to me that that would also be great for Mia's question about books to read in a classroom. Oh, yeah. So just throwing that in there. Okay, so back to this one. Um, I have two that are kind of related, so I will group them again. Tender Morsels by Margot Lanigan is a heartbreaking retelling of the Snow White Rose Red fable. If you know that one, it's Mm -hmm. not Snow White with the dwarves. It's the one where um, there's, like, two sisters, and they come across a dwarf and rescue him and accept terrible things continue to happen and there's a bear Uh, (laughs) and there's a bear (laughs) and there's a bear like you know happens in fairy tales it's really really dark I'm not gonna lie to you this book will rip your heart out it's really rough to read like trigger warnings all over the place but it's excellent and then Kate Bernheimer has edited several collections where she gets amazing writers to rewrite a, a fairy tale or fable of their choice and all of them are great. All of those collections are excellent. And Kate also has a couple short story collections where she does the same thing. So anything that has Kate Bernheimer's name on it, I recommend. Okay, my second pick for this is the Lunar Chronicle series by Marissa Meyer. This is yeah. A, yeah, I love it so much. I know, it's so good. <laughs> it's a young adult series. I think that she's up to book four now. Four. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the first one is called Cinder, and it is a retelling of the Cinderella story in the future in China where Cinder is a cyborg. Cinderella is a cyborg, which how do you not read that? You just, <laughs> you just have to read it. And in this uh, society, there's uh, humans have moved to the moon, so there's a, there's a population on Earth, there's a population on the moon, and the queen of the moon is evil and bad and comes down to Earth and wants to basically take it over. And every new book in the series is... Uh, follows the plot like it's a continuation of the original story but it's told it retells a different fairy tale so cinderella is the first one um oh gosh my, my red riding hood right, is yeah. one of them mm-hmm. yeah uh, snow white is going to be the next book winter rapunzel is rapunzel. the third one mm-hmm. yeah and um so fairy tales in the future with sci-fi there's a little bit of romance tons of adventure really great end of summer read so i do recommend that a lot yeah, and for anybody who's a Once Upon a Time show fan, oh. you need to be reading The Lunar Chronicles. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm going to do my last three all smooshed together. <laughs> um, two of them are classic retellings. So Lavinia by Ursula Le Guin is a retelling of the Aeneid from Lavinia's point of view. Lavinia is a woman who... Um, on his travels, Aeneas encounters and is supposed to marry. Um, and Ursula Le Guin obviously can do no wrong ever. She's the most amazing in the history of amazing. You should read her. Uh, the Ground Beneath Her Feet by Salman Rushdie is a retelling of the Orpheus story um, with a really interesting modern-day twist. It's all about rock and roll. Um, and it's these two singers who find each other when they're young and have this, like, torturous, slut, creative, romantic affair. Um, and then a 
photographer who is sort of the third wheel to the party. And it's really, really fantastic. And then The Fledgling by Octavia Butler, which is probably, no, definitely hands down my favorite take on vampires that is not at all what you would expect on a take on vampires. Yeah. If you are looking for like a vampire book that is unlike anything you've ever read, Fledgling by Octavia Butler will satisfy that. That's great. That sounds great. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> it was the first, Octavia Butler's. It was the first one I ever read, and I think I honestly picked it up because it was the most understandable of all her plots. Like her plots are complicated mm-hmm. and very odd and really great. And I've now I've read like almost everything she's written, and I love all of it. But Fledgling has a special place in my heart because it was the first one I picked up, and it was when I was going through a pretty heavy vampire phase. So, like yeah. you do, like you do, yeah. All right, my last pick is Boy Snow Bird by Helen Oyoyemi. Uh, this is a retelling of the Snow White story set in mid-century America, and it's um, so good. Like, I'm, my brain just went out of blank because I'm thinking yeah. about, like, the mental images that I had in my mind when I was reading this book were, were just so good. Anyway, but it's told from the perspective of what would be the wicked stepmother character in in um Mm -hmm. in snow white and so this woman marries her husband they have a child who is black and it's like this uh examination of race and told through the the framework of the snow white story and it's so fascinating to watch what oyoyemi does with the different aspects of snow white and how she makes it um how she makes what she's trying to say fit into that kind of fable fairy tale it's 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 a, it's skillful. Like it's just so skillful and thought provoking. And I really loved it. Co-signed all of that. Yeah. Helen. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. Thanks for episode one. Thanks for listening. And Jen, thank you so much for being my first guest. Yay. Yeah. Um, so if you have questions or you want to make a comment or give more recommendations to these people who wrote in for questions, um, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at I'm Amanda Nelson. You can send us uh, an email with your request to get booked at, why can't I say it? I couldn't say it the first time either. Get booked <laughs> at bookriot.com. Uh, if you go onto the Book Riot site to the post for this episode, there will be a form in the post where you can drop your recommendations. You can find Jen on Twitter at Jen IRL, Jen with two N's, right? Yeah. Yep. Correct. E N N I R L. And. That's it. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you, Entry Island and Killer Run, for sponsoring the show. And we will see y'all in two weeks. Bye. Bye. Bye.